I'd say this episode is long overdue. <laughs> get it? Because it's, it's overdue? Like, live, you get it? Yeah. It's Schmanners. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband, host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife, host, Teresa McElroy. And you're listening to Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. Hello, my dove. Hello, dear. I just ate some ricotta. <laughs> I've got, <laughs> got some cheese throat going on. <laughs> it was uh, whipped ricotta with lemon. It was really good. But mm-hmm. I got ricotta throat. I got something ricotta in my throat. <laughs> I'm on fire. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Um... So this is Schmanners, where, you know, we talk about manners and the yes. history and how they still apply. And Do you think that this hmm? library uh, episode could be considered part of our summer fun? Isn't it fun to I'll tell you, the library? Yes, because growing up in the Huntington, um, the Cabell County Library in Huntington, every summer they did a summer reading program for kids. Mm-hmm. It was like, I the ones I remember specifically was, it was like a... Um, board game and when you finished a book you got to like spin the spinner and the prize wheel and like move a certain amount and like every square of the board game had something different on it that you would win whenever you landed on it and you kept your own game board like wow i was crazy about it as a kid so i read so many books you also had trouble sleeping so you read well also that yeah my (laughs) insomnia led to me reading a bunch of books when i was a kid but I read so much during the summer. I did um, too. Because I, I liked it. winning games <laughs> and winning things. I so, think that yes, my mom me. just took us to the library once a week. Well, and it was also like, this is another, man, this is another weird thing that like, I think about sometimes the difference in generations between like me and BB. I, mean, I guess there's a couple generations between us now. But like, I remember going to the library to check out movies because mm. there was no streaming. Right. We didn't have Netflix or whatever. So it was like I'd ride my bike to the library and rent movies. Which for- you can still do. Yeah, but like because I had to. <laughs> I <wanted> to <laughs> like I think there was Blockbuster, but even before Blockbuster, I got a lot of movies from my library. I, that was the uh, Well, if you wanted an older movie, why pay a rental fee when you yeah. already pay taxes for the library? It's where I saw a couple of Mel Brooks movies that there just weren't at like I saw The 12 Chairs, one of Mel Brooks's really early weird movies because it was at the library. Yeah. Anyways, I love libraries. Spent a lot of time there. Libraries are great. They are great. Um, uh, well, no, we'll talk more about, I have a question. Um, uh, should I ask the big question now and then we'll talk about it throughout? Uh, okay. This is my philosophical quandary that I've been thinking, as I've been thinking about a lot. And, and let me be clear. I love libraries a lot. I'm a big fan. I think they serve a very important purpose. In, in this question, there is admittedly some privilege showing because I think this question, my question is, is the need for a library changing as more people have access to internet and like 
um, stuff on demand and access to like books you can read in your hands, you know, on your phone or your iPad or whatever. And I realize that not everybody has access to these things, but as more and more people do, is that changing the way, like the, is changing the need for libraries? You know, I think that it isn't because libraries are continuing to evolve past just the written word. Um, lots of libraries have partnerships with um, different different digital archives. Um, you, with your library card, are able to also uh, check out books on Kindle and other sorts of like like tablets. Um, and there, I, I think that especially libraries in, um, in college formats actually form partnerships with the computer labs um, because the information, although it is changing format, still needs to be categorized and, and discerned and, and shared appropriately. You have reminded me now, now that I've asked my own dumb question, you've reminded me that um, for a while there, I got a, and I, maybe maybe I'll get back into it. I love audiobooks a lot, mm-hmm. um, because I don't always have time to sit down and read. But I, but um, the Cincinnati Library, you can download audiobooks from their catalog, and it just like sits in this app for like you know thirty days, and then you know you have to renew it or something, right? But, uh, so I listened to a lot of audiobooks from my library, digitally downloaded, didn't even have to go in to do it. It was really, Absolutely. really cool. Absolutely. As long as you have a working library card, uh, you can put in your bi- barcode and uh, you can get audiobooks and other digital downloads. Um, some some uh, libraries will even stream movies and TV and music and, I mean... The possibilities are endless. And now I will answer my own question, too, to say that libraries also provide the service of having Internet access and Wi-Fi for people who don't have access to that Mm -hmm. um, and still provide, you know, periodicals, the newspaper, um, reading classes, both for children and adults and that kind of thing. So, yes, I I acknowledge the answer to my own rhetorical question. (laughs) I just wanted to address it. And then move on. So we've talked about the future of libraries. How about a little bit of history of libraries? Well, the word uh, library derives from the Latin liber or book, um, whereas a Latinized Greek word, biblioteca, is the origin for the word library in German, Russian, and Romance languages. Oh. Yeah. I like the word biblioteca. <laughs> it just sounds... It sounds both intelligent and futuristic, doesn't it? Because text in there, but like there's just so many syllables in there. Biblioteca. It just sounds like it sounds like what it is, you know, highly advanced, incredibly intelligent kind of place. All right. I'm just saying it's a great word. It's fun to say. Although the word does mean book um, before books. Obviously, there were other ways of keeping records. Um, Mostly, the ones that we have today are clay tablets. Um, And archaeologists have have discovered uh, in Mesopotamia, which is kind of an ancient region of uh, Southwest Asia and kind of almost like modern-day Iraq in there, um, they have found clay tablets 
from then uh, dating. So that's like 5,000 years ago. That's a lot of years. That's a lot of years. And that's a, that's a, a pretty good testimony to the ability to keep those because there are a lot of ancient civilizations that have lost some of their written records through war or through um, new new kingdoms. Well, just from moving around, I have no idea where my college degree is. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've lost a lot of books just from moving. Like, well, where is it? You know, that kind of thing. That was probably it. At one point, it was in vogue when a new Chinese dynasty would come to reign that they would burn or destroy all records that predate that dynasty. Oh, bummer. Well, because they wanted history to start with them, you know? Yeah, but that's short-sighted. Because that's not how that works. Not one of them was like, wait, we might want to know this later. Ugh, what have I done? Um, and these collections or archives weren't always called libraries. Uh, they were also called repositories. Um, where, so, you might have... have you, you, you know what I mean when I say pigeonhole, right? Like the physical pigeonhole... Is that like a cubby? Kind of like a cubby, but it's meant to hold just one scroll. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense of why you wouldn't want to be pigeonholed into something because it's so narrow, a definite, it only holds the one thing. Okay, mm -hmm. got it. Um, so scrolls were tagged on the shelves and then a page would go back and forth. A person called a page would go back and forth to fetch these scrolls for people to read. Um, and then scribes would make copies of these scrolls, either for the library's collection or to be lended out. Interesting. Um, these scrolls were originally made of papyrus, uh, which uh, dates back to ancient Egypt. But um, pretty shortly thereafter, from China, the, the art of papermaking was i don't i don't know i don't want to say passed down but it was brought in mm -hmm. uh and paper making made it a lot easier and it was a little more durable than the papyrus um originally these repositories were only available to scholars and scientists they might be attached to a institution of higher learning or um or they might be like under the service of the king, right? So only learned and probably rich people were allowed in there. Um, and uh, during the 14th through 16th centuries, the wealthy people of Europe started amassing their own private libraries, uh -huh. which is where a lot of these collections come from, where in later years they were either donated or confiscated. I see. Um, I think that one of the things that, that really changed libraries forever was the movable type in the printing press. Um, uh, 1450 was I when, remember. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you remember? Johann ah, Gutenberg. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, I know this name. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he made it so that you could print books from movable type instead of having to copy them by hand. And then many, 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 many generations later, his great, great, great grand ancestor, Steve Gutenberg, would refine movies. So really, you had Gutenberg, the, the guy who, you know, printing, and Gutenberg, 
film. So I'm just saying it's a dynasty. Note, I don't know if Steve Gutenberg is actually related to that Gutenberg. That was just a joke. Let's continue. <laughs> um, so we have the idea of all of these clay tablets or scrolls or papyrus or even codexes, which are which are like the beginning of books. Okay. Um, in private collections. But did you know that the very first library classification system may have existed as early as 700 BC. So people weren't just like throwing these books around. They actually had systems. Alphabetical? Um, maybe. Sometimes. This is is something that I just realized like a month ago that Teresa apparently realized like in high school, which is like one day. And listen, if you're going to like tweet at me like, you're a dummy, don't do that. Here's the thing. I was just sitting there. I was thinking about alphabetical order when suddenly I realized alphabetical order is completely arbitrary. Unlike numerical order, where like, yes, one, and then two is one more than one, and three is one more than two. Uh huh. But A, B, C, D, E, F, G, like it could have been in any order whatsoever. There's no, it's arbitrary. And that blew my mind. I couldn't wrap my mind around it. Anyways, just a thing that occurred to me the other day that alphabetic order could have been in any order. We could have started in the middle, you know, or gone any, like it could have been in any order and it still would have been the exact same. People as long as like, we all agree yep. that that's the order. It's completely arbitrary. Anyways. So a lot of these, these places may have housed in alphabetical order according to their alphabet type. Um, but also books could be arranged by, um, by, by copied so like the first book that was copied is here and then the second book that was copied so like these library classification systems differ for every library at this Uh, point so it would have been like library specific and not just like an order got it right right um really around 296 bce is when greece starts to uh make sure make the alphabetical order Uniform. Uniform. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Callimachus, the Greek poet and scholar, uh, designed the same catalog system that is pretty similar to what we use today in the Library of Congress, not the Dewey Decimal System. Okay, I, I saw. Say. I saw your eyebrows raise. Okay. I'm uh, pretty sure that was like someone named Dewey. <laughs> but the li- guess. The United States Library of Congress uh, uses the alphabetical system as well. Um, and this was developed during the 3rd century BCE. Okay. I do want to know about Dewey Decimal System, though. Okay. We will We will definitely do that. Because I would like to say my favorite quote from UHF. Oh, do we need to do it now? Because now you have the quote? Uh, yeah, kind of. All right. Okay. It's Conan the Librarian in UHF. And he wa- and somebody asked him where a book is, and he goes, Don't you know the Dewey Decimal System? And then kills him. <laughs> it's great. UHF is a great movie that I hope everyone has seen. You should go see it now if you haven't. I'll wait. Early libraries um, often had books attached to tables or lecterns by chains or other means. So these books were not meant to be taken out of the building because they were so rare um, and it was so difficult to get a hold of books. But as books became more popular um, sometime in the the Renaissance era, um, 
you be you were able to start actually taking the books, uh, but still they often insisted on some type of like collateral that you leave with them in order to uh, to make sure you'll bring that book back. I gotcha. Okay. Um, and they also began to understood at this point that these books would probably be copied one when one once they were taken out of the um, the library, and they actually encouraged that. Um, like I said, books were very expensive and hard to keep, and so the more copies floating around meant eventually a lot of the books that had been copied got taken back to the library, either either donated or confiscated again. Um, in your question about the library and the, the ever-changing needs of the library, I talked about how a lot of libraries, especially associated with colleges, uh, are, are part of the, the information tech as well. But uh, the idea that a library would be associated with a college really only started in the late 15th century. Um, colleges like Oxford began petitioning for funding to increase their library space. Um, and this funding would help to bring on what is known as the golden age of libraries. Ooh. Which is between 15, uh, 1600 and 1700. Oh, I just um, missed it. Again, because this is when the quantity of books increased and the costs associated decreased. Um, this is also... Uh, a point in history when there was a renewed interest for the classical literature and culture. Um, and people basically demanded it. Um, more libraries were built, including the Bodleian Library at Oxford, the Marzanine Library in, in Paris, the Library of the British Museum, and the National Central Library in Italy. Cool. So these all really... Um, libraries became part of the culture in this 100 year period whereas before they were pretty much like um archives of um you know like purchases or birth records or they were just documents yeah they were more like documents but now it's starting to really expand to the sciences and also literature interesting um, one of the first public libraries uh, that was allowed to be used by members of the public and not just members of, inst of an institution uh, was the Francis Trigg Chained Library in Grantham, Lincolnshire. And that was in 1598. Whatever series of words you just said <laughs> had a lot of consonants in it and not a lot of vowels. Well, you know. Um, and it's considered a forerunner to the later public library systems. However, mm. it wasn't until the Public Libraries Act in 1850, so several hundred years later, um, that Parliament mandated cities populated with 10,000 or more were asked to pay taxes in support of public libraries. Oh, so it became like, we're all going to have libraries now. Yep. It's a thing gonna we're doing. It. We're going to do it. Um, Interesting. Huh. You know, I guess I've just never thought about it as like, a law that's like we have to have libraries now it's very interesting i just assumed that it was like the kind of thing where it's like once you have enough people 
somebody like the city just builds a library no like i said a lot of these were either attached to institutions like monasteries or colleges or hospitals or i mean they were even just private collections um and if you if you knew the right people or had the right socioeconomic background, you might have access to it, but they weren't maintained by the people. They could, you know, they could just pick up and leave the next day if they wanted to. But this is when libraries really started being a, a public resource. There are there were lots of libraries in the United States that were kind of in between public and private. Um so like in, for example, there was a research library founded by Benjamin Franklin in I've 1731 him, yes. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the, as uh, the Library Company of Philadelphia. Um, so it was, it was almost kind of, it was a lending library, but it wasn't publicly supported. You know what I mean? It was kind of a research institute that had a lot of books that would lend them out. Gotcha kind of in, in between. And in 1876 in the United States, the American Library Association was created. It is the oldest and largest library association in the world and uh, promotes library education internationally. All right. Are you ready for the Dewey classification I'm system? I'm so ready, Teresa. I've been bouncing. I'm <laughs> full of curiosity and excitement and I don't sound sincere because that's just a problem I have, but I am sincerely excited. Here's a quiz for you. Oh, is no. Dewey the first name or the last name of the person? I'm going to guess last name. Good. What's the first name? <laughs> decimal. <laughs> decimal Dewey. The Dewey Decimal System is the full title. Melville. Melville Dewey. Mm-hmm. That does sound right. You know, now that you say that, that's, I should have guessed that. God, Melville. That's the name that needs to come back. It's a good name. I like that name. So the Dewey Decimal System, instead of organizing by alphabet, organizes by subject by assigning a number to a subject category. For example, 100 is assigned to philosophy and psychology, and within that category will have subcategories assigned assigned with numbers in increments of 10. So 110 would be metaphysics, 120 would be uh, uh, epistemology. I don't know how to say that word. Um, No one does. (laughs) Epistemiology. Sure. Sure. And 130, paranormal phenomenon, things like that, right? Um, So then within that, you can continue to subdivide and subdivide by decimals in places of 10. So how much free time do you think Melville Dewey had just like in general? I here's the thing. I'm I'm not going to knock Melville Dewey because I think it takes a pretty keen mind to come up with this and I think there's a reason it is used so frequently. It's just so meticulous. Mm-hmm. I think would be the word that like it blows my mind. And well, and as library subjects have been expanded and included in the technological age, um, there have been about 20 revision, revisions to the Dewey Decimal System. Uh, so it's it's still constantly changing. Interesting. Well, I think that brings us to right about present. So that means it's time for questions. But first, 
How about a few quick thank you notes? Hey, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to the thank you zone. That's not what <laughs> that's, we call it. That's not what we call it that's here. That's not what we call it. But I do want to say, here's the thing. We all want to look good, right? Is there a person in this world, do you think, that's like, today? <laughs> well, maybe. I do have days like that. Or maybe <laughs> every day. But sometimes, you know, you just want to look good. But you don't have a ton of money to spend on it. But here's the good news. You know what? I also don't have a lot okay. of time. Okay. Well, here's even more good news. We'll sandwich the two good newses together. Make a good news sandwich. The good news sandwich is you don't need a lot of time or money to look good. 5-4 Club is revolutionizing the way people shop. Each month, they send you a curated box of two to three items that are hand-picked to match your style. Ooh, I love these kind of services. Yeah, right? They know what they're doing. So if you don't, that's okay. 5-4 Club will help you build your wardrobe one month at a time. Um, you get $120 worth of clothes for just $60 a month, and you can pause or cancel any time. Are there any special deals for our Schmanners listeners? Well, of course there are, Teresa. You can go to 54club.com right now and enter promo code Schmanners, and they'll give you 50% off your first month package plus a free pair of sunglasses. That's 50% off your first package at 54club, spelled F I V E F O U R C L U B dot com. Promo code Schmanners, S-H-M-A-N-N-E-R-S. 54club.com, promo code Schmanners. Go now. Check it out. I have a Jumbotron for this week. Are you ready for this? Always. Because it's super cute. Go for it. This message is for Patrick, and it is from Rachel. Happy anniversary to my favorite person, Thank you for the last year and all the memories, adventures, Hamilton sing-alongs, bad jokes, and Sunday brunch dates we've had together. I'm so happy we swiped right on each other, and I can't wait to see what our future holds. Here's to year two. I love you more than I love pancakes, and you love Brick the Pig. Wow. More than pancakes? Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. That's very cute. I told you. Isn't it so sweet? It's very cute. Thank you so much. For bringing cute to us. We're already pretty cute. But I, <laughs> I appreciate adding a little bit more cuteness to it. Um, If you would like to have a Jumbotron on the show, you can go to MaximumFun.org forward slash Jumbotron and sign up today. Um, You can do a personal one or business one or whatever. It's a, both a great way to tell someone that you think they're great and support our show. MaximumFun.org forward slash Jumbotron. How many times has this happened to you? Oh man, if only I knew whether it was better to be too hot or too cold, or who the best James Bond was, that girl would have gone out with me. Now you can with We Got This With Mark and Hal, the podcast from MaximumFun.org every Tuesday. Hey, Lois, it's Joey. The best James Bond was Daniel Craig, and it's better to be too cold than too hot. Thanks, We Got This With Mark and Hal. Only on MaximumFun.org, or wherever you get fine podcasts. Hello, Amita Patel. Hello, Sean David Johnson. What's going on? I think a friend of mine may have chronic pop culture deficiency syndrome. Oh, no. PCDS? What are the symptoms? Well, she doesn't know Wakanda from Westeros. Shameful. And she keeps confusing Aziz Ansari and Riz Ahmed. Oh, my gosh. So sad. Kind of racist, too. But what did you tell her to do? 
I told her to listen to our podcast, Inside Pop, of course. Fantastic idea. A weekly dose of Inside Pop will help anyone discover the best in TV, film, and music. Suffer from PCDS no more. Inside Pop has you covered every Wednesday on Max Fun. All right. We got some questions. Lots of good ones. Oh, good. I Listen, no joke, blew me away how many librarians listen to our show. Like, we got a lot of tweets are like, as a librarian, can't wait to hear you answer these. <laughs> as a librarian, can't wait to hear this episode. So now I'm kind of nervous because, like, the librarians are going to be going, nope. <laughs> no. Oh, don't be nervous. Every library um, has their own set of rules. Um, a lot of them are very, very general. Things like, please be quiet. Uh, also, food and drink are largely discouraged because books don't want to ruin those books. Well, um, and every library has their own resell shelving packet uh, services, and that's not what I want to say. Every library has their um, has their way of reshelving, and they might have computer time limits and things like that. But most of the time, if you go up and you ask for someone to explain to you what's going on, these librarians super nice. Yes, in general, I I support librarians. There, I said it. There, I love them. You know what I mean? And I'm not just saying that because I know they're all listening right now. <laughs> um, so we had some questions, as I said. Let's start with this one because you mentioned a pretty classic uh, library uh, trope, rule? I don't know. Benjamin asks, should we be quiet? Why not have discussions? Make it a place of learning. Um, I would say that there are different libraries for different uses. Um, a lot of libraries attached to colleges have group study areas, which where you are allowed to discuss and talk out loud. Um, and then there are quiet reading rooms. So you really just need to find a library that has, you know, has space to accommodate what it is you want to do. So if you want to discuss books or, um, you know, talk to other patrons without sh being uh, quiet, then you need to find a library that lets you do that with a discussion room or um, with a, a, a community forum or, or something like that. But in general, you should be quieter in a library um, just because it takes a lot of concentration to read. And if people are, are reading or studying, um, they they might need to concentrate. I yeah, mean, I would. <laughs> in general, this is, is a, a, I think that the important thing, I think the reason that the quiet is such a, a common rule and is widely understood to be a library rule is because it is a public place that everyone can use. Mm -hmm. And like, therefore, the default should be as neutral as possible for what everyone needs it to be, which is quiet. You know what I mean? Like, I think so. Yeah, that's the default neutral state of like sound. <laughs> so <laughs> the idea of like, OK, well, there's a hundred people in here. Ten of them want to have a loud discussion. Ninety are just trying to sit and read quietly. So we should probably keep it quiet. You know what I mean? It's sure. This is one of those times where it's just like a park or any kind of public space. It's for everyone to use and not. You being there doesn't suddenly make it yours. You know what I mean? It's yes. shared. It's a communal it's a, space. It's a communal space. But if the if, if discussion is something that you you want to do at your library, you need to find the right spot to do it. And yeah. lots of libraries have those places. Now, I don't usually include these, 
because usually unless someone asks a question or a request for advice, I don't usually include them. I don't include when people say, tell people this, except this one was so simple and straightforward. And I really appreciated it because it's something I'd never think to tell people. But Meredith says, as someone who works in a library, I really, really wish people would push in their chairs. And that to me was like, you know what, Meredith? Here we go. Public service announcement. In a library, when you stand up from a table, push your chair back in. That way, people carrying a bunch of books don't bump into them. A kid running, you know, through the library doesn't bonk their head on a chair. And so someone working in the library doesn't don't have run to in go libraries. around. Don't run in the library. But so someone working in the library doesn't have to go around and push in your chair. You can take a second, push your chair back under the desk or the table or whatever. I hope that helps, Meredith. Um, this question is from Kevin. If I need an extra day or three, is it rude to just take the fine and pay it? Or should I speed through the end? Um, I don't think that you you need to speed through your books. Um, if your library doesn't have the option of online renewal uh, and you, have, you need a few extra days, as long as you pay the fine, then it's, you're not being rude. Uh, it would be rude of you to expect to go into a library and say, I needed extra days. I don't want to pay this fine. That would yeah, be rude. Yeah, that's not great. But if you want to accept the terms of your of your lending policy and pay the fine for extra days, that more power to you. But like I said, a lot of libraries have online renewal services. So you don't need to pay a fine. You just have to let the library know you want to renew the book. And you know, in fact... Um, I just learned about this recently. A lot of uh, public libraries are actually eliminating fines, the late fees, because um, it, it undercuts the mission of like, uh, you know, getting the information out there and people feeling comfortable to take the books out and that kind of thing. That said, return your books on time. It's a cool thing to do. Here's what I will say. If your library has fines, um, I've never worked in a library but I have worked a lot of retail customer service jobs. And I think that there's a lot of overlap here in that. If you are assessed a fine, you should pay it. And a lot of people feel that their situation is very unique. And like, ah, but I couldn't get back here to return it on time. So, but that it's, it, that's how the system works. So unless there is special circumstances, which I accept that there may be, you know, maybe some kind of illness or injury or emergency, that kind of thing. But like, you know, I just I, 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 I had to work and my kid had a soccer game and I just wasn't able to get back in time. Yep. And so you were late. So like pay the dollar. You pay the two dollars. You know what I mean? A lot of these fines are pretty negligible, but I will continue to uh, advocate that a lot of libraries, if you just look it up, have online renewal services, and this whole thing can be avoided. More than anything, just don't argue with the librarian. Like they didn't make the policy. Yeah, that like that they it, they're just enforcing the rules. They're doing their job. Don't yell at them. Don't yell at customer service people either. <laughs> don't yell at people in general. Don't this yell at people doing their jobs. This is a PSA from Schmanners. Don't yeah, yell at people. Don't yell at people doing their jobs. It's not great. Um, Violet wants to know, can I fall asleep? On, I, I assume Violet in the library. This ain't on the library. We're going to go with in the library. Can Violet fall asleep in the library? I would say that to fall asleep on purpose is probably not a good idea. Um, should one fall asleep while reading? Hey, 
that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not it's not a hotel. It's not it's not your bedroom. Uh, you really should not go to the library to go to sleep. Yeah, I, I will say though, um, going to like the college library, you see people like pulling like twelve hour study sessions where they'll like put their heads down on the table and snooze for like ten minutes. Um, but it has been my experience, and I saw some people tweeting about it as librarians saying like it is once again their job that if they see people like sleeping, they mostly out of public safety to like check on those people they do need to go around and like wake people up and check on people Mm -hmm. um it's just i that said i think that you know you close your eyes reading a book and you snooze for a couple minutes great you're not going to go to prison for it (laughs) um it happens uh so we had two different questions well we had lots of different questions this was the most commonly asked one but i pulled two different versions of it one is from grace who says libraries always say not to put books back on the shelf and put them on a cart is it all right to just put them back where i found them and then ceo asks i work at a library i'm a page is there a polite way to ask patrons to put books on the cart instead of back on the shelf uh well we talked about a page right Uh, that's a person who is responsible for resell shelving books or going to get a book that has been asked to be pulled. Um, I believe that there is one way that you can reshelve a book yourself. One way. If you are standing in front of the shelf and you put your finger where the book goes and you open the book with your other hand and you decide not to take out that book, you can put that book back in the shelf where your finger is. If you move your finger... You have to put it back on, you have to put it on the cart. That's the only way. That's yes. the only way we can do it. We have to have physical contact with the spot where the book came from. And that that's because there are two very good reasons that you should not reshelve yourself. One, as Teresa has pointed to, <laughs> is that you're not, even if you feel completely confident that you can totally remember where you got that book from and that you understand how the dually like, okay but that's how books get lost and that's how like things end up missing because you're like i think it was here and it's not and like unless they want to hunt through an entire like library to find one book which i'm sure that you know library workers would but it's easier just to put it on you're not helping (laughs) you're not helping by putting it back yourself because you think you remember and two i have also uh heard that um by putting it back on the cart you are demonstrating which books are still being used and being referenced, even if they're not being checked out, that these are still popular, useful books. So they're more likely to stay in the circulation, stay at the library instead of like, nobody's touched this book in two years and we need space to bring in new books. So we can get rid of this one. So like I said, the only way you can possibly reshelve a single book and I, and this is because you only have two hands Put your finger in the spot where the book came from between the other two books. Take out the book. Look at it. If you don't want it, put it back right where your finger is. And that fits both because then you know exactly where you got it from. And two, you didn't find it helpful. So, like, those are the two reasons not to shelve books. So, yes. Okay. Um, and I, if you are asking how to tell people politely, I think explaining that to them. It's like, listen, it's my job. I'm happy to put these things back where they go. Um, like it is my job to do this. Um, I take great joy in it. Please allow me to put these books back. Thank you very much. Especially <laughs> when you see someone with like a stack of like 10 books and it's like, you're not going to remember. You have no idea where you those have books no came from. <laughs> idea where you got those from. Just give those back to me. Um, let's see. 
This question is from Anna. How long can I use one of the communal computers for looking up books before being rude? Um, a lot of libraries will have posted time limits. Uh, but if if there are very few patrons in the library, I, I don't see how it would be a problem to go over your time limit just a little. Uh, but remember that, that a card catalog bu- uh, computer needs to be used by several people to be, you know, effective. We want everyone to be able to find the books they want to use. So find a couple books from the card catalog, computer, or whatever, uh, go and go to find those books and then come back again if you need more books. Um, a lot of libraries have computer labs attached, like I said, uh, especially college computer labs. And all of these have posted signs of how long you're supposed to use them. Um, but like I said, again, if it's not very crowded, you may be able to fudge that just a little bit. Um, this question is from Morgan. Is it rude to sit on the floor in an aisle if I'm looking through books on the bottom shelf? Is it rude to sit on the floor momentarily? No. Is it rude to sit on the floor to read those books in the shelvings? Yes, because uh, any absent-minded person or person who is engrossed in looking for a book might trip over you uh, and you've become a hazard. Um, Or someone who wants to look at the same shelf that you're looking through can't look at it if you are sitting and reading in front of that shelving unit. So look momentarily, look through the spines of the books, see if there's something that you want, and then move on. Um, Gone Sasquatchin asked, that made me really happy, um, is it rude to ask the front desk for the Wi-Fi password if I'm not asking for any other real library stuff? You're at the library to use the services. If they offer Wi-Fi, it's perfectly acceptable to ask for the Wi-Fi password. It's part of how it's evolved. Like we talked about at the beginning right. of the show, this is now a service that they offer. Exactly. Um, is it something where I say that you can stay all day and just surf the web? No, you shouldn't do that because a lot of computers have time limits so that everyone can use it. But that's part of what the library is for. And you never know, maybe by sitting in the library on the computer for a few minutes, you might find a book that you might like, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's it's what it's there for. It's yeah. not, a, this is different from coffee shops. Exactly. Right, where it's not like, well, you can use the Wi-Fi as long as you keep checking out books. No, you're there to use a library service, and that service is the Wi-Fi. Go to town. Um. This question is from Claudia, who asks, I, I'm an adult and have no kids. I feel weird when I go into the kids slash young adult section, especially if obviously tucked away to be private. But books. <laughs> uh, you are allowed to check out any book that you feel you have interest in. Um, in a lot of libraries, this includes salacious uh, material, and it includes material that might be uh, wrong for your age group. If that's what you want to check out, you're perfectly fine checking those things out. Here's the thing, Claudia. You know you don't have any kids at home, but nobody else knows that, and no one else needs to know. You don't need to turn to everybody in the young adult section and go, I'm not weird. I just really like Twilight. It's fine. Just check out books, and like no one knows. 
This is the thing. If you're not there for weird, creepy things, you are not being weird and creepy. You're I think fine. That's, that's a good thing to remember uh one last question this is from amaya amaya asks how do you deal with someone being super disruptive is it better to ask them to quiet down yourself or ask for assistance from a librarian you should ask for assistance um because that is their job it is their job to keep a uh a conducive atmosphere in the library uh so you should go and seek assistance this is the thing i've been thinking about a lot and whether it's like a store employee or a lifeguard or a librarian, when some, I think that people get in their heads like, well, if I go get somebody, I'm snitching or I'm like going above their heads when it's something I could just take care of myself, except you're looking at this wrong because the person like a librarian, lifeguard, whatever, they have authority. So it is their job to tell this person to keep it down. If you do it, you're at the same level as this other patron. So mm-hmm. why should they listen to you? There's, It's way more likely to have conflict because they don't perceive you as having any right to tell them because you're on the same level. Whereas if you get someone who is in a position of authority, whatever that may be, they will accept that more readily because it is the person's job to do that thing. Let's hope they will. Yes. I mean, it's more likely to be accepted yes, more readily, absolutely. I guess I should say. So yeah, go get a librarian. You don't don't you don't do it. You don't work there. Ain't your job. <laughs> uh, I think that's gonna do it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Um, you can go to maximumfun.org and check out all the other amazing shows there. Um, I would like to personally um, uh, recommend the most recent episode of Rose Buddies that Griffin and Rachel did. Where it was they, very sweet. They did not at all talk about um, <laughs> any kind of dating show or The Bachelor or Bachelorette or anything. They just talked about things they liked and it was charming as all get out. Uh, they probably, I believe they still did use adult language. Yes, this is true. Explicit language. Um, but you go check that out and check out everything else. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at SchmannersCast. Oh, we need to get better about picking a topic before we start recording. Oh, no. Do you have any bouncing around in your noggin? And we're back. We just took a brief hiatus, a 30-second <laughs> thir- hiatus to talk about. We're going to do party games. So if you've ever been at a party and somebody was like, hey, let's all play a game, that kind of thing, right? So if you have questions about that, uh, you can tweet at us at SchmannersCast. You can email us, SchmannersCast at gmail.com. Um, want to say thank you to Brent, Brent of Black, who did our intro and outro music, which is available as a ringtone wherever ringtones are sold. Thank you to Kayla M. Wassel for our Twitter thumbnail and banner art. Um, check out her portfolio. Also, thank you to Keely Weiss Photography for our beautiful new Facebook cover photo. I can't think of anything else. Can you? Nope. Okay. Uh, you've been listening to Schmanners. Join us next week. No RSVP no, required. I said it wrong. Oh, no. I got to get it right. Join us again next week. No RSVP required. You've been listening to Schmanners. Manners. Schmanners. Get it? MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.